We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. I just want to take a minute and remind you to check out ConradChallenge.org and look at the kinds of things you can do to support students. The Conrad Challenge is really about facilitating 21st century skills of creativity, collaboration, critical thinking, communication. So go and check that out at conradchallenge.org. And if you missed my interview with Nancy Conrad, go check that out as well at transformativeprincipal.org slash Nancy Conrad. Hey, everyone. This is Stacey Lindis from Podcast PD, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual host. Make sure you check out all of the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com and get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. Welcome to Transformative Principle. Oh man, I am so excited about this interview with Kelly Tenkley. I have been a fan of hers for years, and you'll probably hear me say that like five more times before this podcast is over, but she's been doing some amazing work, and I just love the work that she is doing. So what I I was able to go visit her school, meet her in person. You're going to hear a little summary of that first, and then I'm going to get into the interview. Like the other interviews, the one I did last week with Joe Erpelding and a couple more coming up. These are interviews with people who actually went and visited their school as part of the research that we're doing for a K-12 magnet. So I hope that you enjoy this and get a lot out of it because I know I sure did. So thank you so much for listening to Transformative Principle. And if you like the ideas shared here, please share this with another person who cares about making education better for our students. Thank you so much for listening. Here's an intro to Anastasis Academy and then my interview with Kelly Tenkley. Hi, this is Jethro. The information you're about to watch is from the school visits that we did as part of the research 
about creating a K-12 magnet in Fairbanks North Star Borough School District. To learn more about that, go to k12northstar.org slash K-12 magnet and sign up for the mailing list. See the resources that are already there. And I'd love to chat with you more about that. That's k12northstar.org slash K-12 magnet. Anastasis Academy is a kindergarten through eighth grade innovative non-denominational Christian school located in Centennial, Colorado. Our Reggio Emilia inquiry-based approach challenges students to gain a deep understanding of concepts and skills. I've been following Anastasis Academy for many, many years, and the founder, Kelly Tinkley, I've been following as well for a long time. I loved going to the school and seeing it all in person. I had heard and read about so many of the things that she has been doing and am just so pleased with it. The first thing I want to talk about is how they assess students. They teach students to that everybody is a novice, an apprentice, a practitioner, and a scholar, and one more, a change maker in every area that they can learn something. And so it is totally appropriate to be in any one of those positions at some point in your career, and there's no shame or problem with that. When you take that approach, then it allows students to recognize that they're not a failure, they're a beginner, they're a novice, they're not the teacher, they are a scholar or a change maker or whatever. One thing that I loved about this school is all the different spaces really lended themselves to creating the kind of school that you would really want your kids to be at. There's a lot of freedom and flexibility. It's a fairly small school and it's a private school. And so there's a lot of things that they don't have to do. But again, here's another school that uses the design thinking process that uses inquiry and experiential learning to help students learn in a powerful, meaningful way. One of the things that I really loved about this school is that they do a learner profile for each student. And the learner profile allows the teacher to learn more about that student in an hour than most teachers learn about their students in the course of a whole year because they have a conversation and they get close and talk to each other about things that they are thinking and feeling. And it really helps them support those students in ways that they typically don't get to. And what I love about that is that, as Kelly said multiple times, once you know the students well enough, you realize that the that the curriculum that you're trying to use to teach them is never going to meet their needs. And for me, that was the big takeaway from this is that you can do things to meet students' needs when you know them that you can't do with a regular curriculum. As you are looking through these pictures, you can see that so many of the spaces are comfortable and relaxing and awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's just great. Like many other schools that we visited, they also have uh, maker spaces and different flexible seating and opportunities to do things. And really just an amazing experience uh, seeing what they've got going on there. So really a great school. There's one other thing I want to say, and that is that they have been doing a personalized learning approach ever since they opened. And another school where no teachers have desks. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am so excited to have Kelly Tenkley on the program today. I have been following and learning from Kelly for years and so excited 
to meet her in Colorado, but then now to have her on the podcast. So welcome, Kelly. So glad you could be here. Thanks, Jethro. I'm really excited to be here as well. And that was a really nice introduction. I hope I live up to it. (laughs) You already have. Spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) So people who are listening have uh, heard my little introduction about the, uh, the school. And so they know a little bit about the kinds of things that you're doing. And so I just wanted to jump right in to a couple of things first and foremost. When we were there, there were a couple of things that you talked about briefly but that we didn't really get to spend any time on. And so I want to talk first about morning meeting and then 310 time. Can you tell me about those two things that you start and end your day with? Yeah, sure. So our morning time we call metanoia, and um, it's just Greek for um, the journey of one's heart, soul, mind, spirit. And so really we want to emphasize in all things that we are on a journey, that it's not um, that we've ever arrived, that uh, learning is a journey. Um, the way we interact with each other is a journey. We're constantly in process of learning. We try to tie that morning time in with whatever is happening happening in our inquiry block. So our whole school, kindergarten through eighth grade, is together for that time. And we talk about all different things. This morning we talked about you know rhythms of life and how to create good habits and how to get rid of bad habits. Um, so the kids were thinking through with partners different ways that we form habits and, and what habits might be good and what rhythms we might need to ditch. And then we just had some community time and played musical chairs and just played some silly games together. And then we do a walk all together, which is really, really good just to, again, bond our community, but also to get blood pumping and just ready for the day. And then 310 time happens at 310. Wait, hold on a sec. Before you go there, uh, let's talk a little bit more about the morning. What you go on a walk together. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So every morning we do a mile walk together. And that's something I actually um, did in school when I was in third grade. Um, I think our school was piloting some program but I loved it as a kid to have that time to catch up with friends, just to be in the fresh air. It gives you a good reset from whatever happened at home. So if you you know, fought on the way in or had an argument or it was hard getting up or whatever it was, it was a good reset before you jumped into the learning. And we never did it again after that third grade year. So I'm not sure why they decided not to do it ag- again or if the, it was just for that grade level. But I always said, if I ever have a school uh, that we would do a mile walk every day because it was so impactful for me. And I think our kids love it as well. It's just nice to be in the fresh air and have time to really be together as a community. And there's something about that walking. There's something about being in nature. That's just really nice way to start the day. And so you take all the staff, all the students, everybody goes out together. Yep. Everybody goes out together. It's, it's definitely a community time. Sometimes uh, when obviously when the weather's nicer, we get more uh, moms and dads to join on that walk. And sometimes, you know, the family dog comes along. As it starts getting colder, it ends up just being, you know, the staff and the and the kids. Usually, that's when we drop off the other family members. But um, it's a really nice time just to come together as a community. Yeah, and it's it doesn't take a lot of time because most people can probably walk a mile in about fifteen to twenty minutes, maybe yep. thirty minutes at the yep, most. Yeah, we do fifteen minutes, so yeah, we're pretty brisk. We want their blood flowing and their heart rate up, and um, and it's just a really nice time to start the day with some activity and some exercise and fresh air. Well, and what I love about that, Kelly, is that you you start so you do the metanoia first, and then you do the 
walk together, right? That's the yeah. order. Yep. And so you get some community time together talking to about things and then you go on the walk before you start any quote unquote real academic work, even mm-hmm. though I know there's academic work in the in the metanoia, but yeah. what a cool opportunity for students really, like you said, to reset. I think that that is just an awesome perspective and, and something that, you know, we talk about the importance of moving and stuff, and yet we sit in a classroom all day in rows and, you know, it just doesn't yeah. happen. So I love you, that idea. You think about how many co- kids come in and they're dysregulated for whatever reason. It might be that the morning was hard. It might be that they just ha- struggle to wake up in the morning. It might be that, you know, we were running late or somebody cut us off in traffic on the way or, you know, whatever those things are that just happen in life. It's a really nice way to help kids learn how to um, regulate themselves and to kind of, yeah, do just a reset on the morning and be ready for what comes next. Yeah. And not to mention the adults who are dysregulated also, Exactly. by the way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's switch to the 310 time. Yeah. So 310 time, our day ends, our pickup is at 315. And so 310 time is a time that we just meet all together in the lobby. So again, that's whole community kindergarten through eighth grade. And um, we do a variety of things, but usually it's, you know, we're doing shout outs to who was kind to you today or um, what what did you learn today that was um, really interesting or what was your favorite part of the day? Who did you notice being kind? So we do shout outs for each other. A lot of times the kids will give their teachers shout outs and, and thank them during that time. But one of the things that we noticed is, you know, by the end of the day, all of our batteries are pretty well spent. We're tired. We're, you know, whatever, however we end the day is what gets into the car with parents. And that's the first thing they hear. Daniel Pink's book, When, talks about this, about how just the rhythms and and the way that we react to things is the last thing that happens is the one that stands out the most. So if you can end on a positive note. So we started 310 time as a way to intentionally come together and end on a positive note where kids are hearing, you know, what their classmates appreciate about them or what they notice them doing um, during the day that that was, you know, dynamite. And it just gives them that boost before they hop in the car to remember what went well throughout the day. So, you know, if, if, I don't know, the backpack wouldn't zip up right or somebody jostled them in the hallway on the way down, that's not what gets into the car with them. Yeah. And it seems like it's, you know, it's only five minutes. Like how much can you actually get done in five minutes? But it seems like there's a great opportunity that everybody has an opportunity to share what went well and, and share something positive before they go. Yeah. And sometimes we'll do dance parties, you know, we'll have music playing on Fridays and we'll just come down and do a dance party because why wouldn't you? And sometimes, you know, the kids will randomly break into song that happens more often you know, as we're in our spring production time where they're all memorizing the same songs. But, yeah. but there are times where we just come and, and sing together. Or just we have a good last moment together before we break up and, and go about, you know, the rest of our days. Yeah. And what are some of the benefits that you've seen from doing this? Uh, parent con- comments or things that they say, things that they see in their kids? Yeah. So what, one of the nice things is because they've just been reminded about what's happened in the day, you know, they heard their classmates say, oh yeah, I loved what we did in art today. And they're like, you know, it's that, oh yeah, I, I really did like that too. Or, you know, different things, but we also prompt parents. So we have the parents ask when they get in the car, you know, who did you notice being kind today? Who was kind to you? Who were you kind to? So we 
also reset the focus from being all about, you know, what did you do today or what, what academically did you do today to be more social based because we want them to start with caring at a human level and um, connecting over something that's not just school related, you know, not specific to, you know, how did you do in math today or, you know, something that we've seen a lot of kids say that they feel very judged when their parents ask them those questions because they assume that their parents think that they're not good in the subject they're asking about, which is why they're asking. Right. Oh, and so that's powerful. <laughs> kind of, yeah, it kind of puts them on the spot where then suddenly it's, you know, should I be worried about math? Should I be, you know, and then they want to close down and hide that part of themselves where if you start with, you know, who was kind to you today? Who did you notice being kind? Um, how were you kind today? that really sets them on a path where they can think about the human connection first. And then naturally what happens with kids is as they're talking about that moment of kindness, it opens up into, oh, and I was, you know, it happened during music when we were playing, you know, the boom whackers or whatever it is. And then it opens that conversation to be what did they do today rather than, you know, putting them on the spot and making them feel like they're under a microscope about one specific um, subject or topic. Yeah, I, I haven't ever really thought about that, but that is a powerful way to to change my mindset about that and with my own kids and asking them about school. I mean, I already try to not try to not focus on the academics, but focus on, you know, kindness and caring and and the the skills that I really want my kids to develop. Mm-hmm. and become the kind of adults that I want them to be. Yeah, I mean, if but, you're asking, you know, what did you do creatively today? That's a totally different question than how was math or, you know, how did science go to... I don't know. Just the way that those questions get asked immediately put kids on the defense where they're starting to question, well, should I be hyper-focused on math? Obviously, math's important to mom and dad. You know, is that the most important subject? If I don't feel good at that, does that mean I'm not good? I, you know, it plays out in different ways for different kids. But I do think that, you know, we have to be careful with the way that we ask things because kids are reading into why is that important to you? Right. And it's not so much about being careful all the time, but really about being aware of mm-hmm. what kids could be reading into that. And sometimes we want them to read into that. and. Yep. And to pay attention to the things that we're asking. So you do a lot of uh, coaching and support with parents about teaching them how to interact with their kids and things like that. And that sounds condescending and it's not, <laughs> but <laughs> can, you, can you talk a little bit about some of those things that you do to, to support parents and be partners with them? and give them the tools they need to help their kids be successful in school. And you talked a little bit about it, but talk a little bit more about yeah. some of the things you do. I mean, part of the the hard thing, I think, um, being a school of the 21st century today is that the way that we are shifting education and the lens we're looking through as far as learning goes is very different, especially here, than what most of our parents experienced when they were in school. And so you know, naturally we go to what we learned and what we observed and how we interacted with our parents about school, because that's what, you know, that's what was modeled for us and that's what we know. And so um, part of it is helping parents to understand the way that that landscape has changed and to give them avenues into how to relate to their kids when they didn't experience the same exact, you know, school structure as their kids are. I think that our parents are a little bit more open to it 
to hearing that because obviously they chose a school that is very not traditional, not probably like the one that they went to. So there was some intentionality behind that. But a lot of times it gets hard for parents to stick with that because, you know, the the nature of us as humans is that we compare. And so when they hear the neighbor kids talking about, you know, that they took this 50 state quiz, our natural inclination could be, you know, why aren't our kids taking that test? And, and when do they memorize the 50 states and those types of things? So a few things that we do, um, one, we get together as a community. Our back-to-school night looks pretty different than probably most. We gather as a community and do a picnic where each teacher hosts a table, and the teachers kind of lead that discussion, but we have kind of table topics, and it's really meant to get to know where parents are coming from, because a lot of times we can make assumptions about why parents interact with us a certain way. But when you get to know them on more of kind of a human level, it's, it becomes harder to just make those assumptions and the, and vice versa as well. When you get to know your, your child's teacher on a human level, it's harder to fire off that email that, you know, and make assumptions about why they sent home this awful math, whatever it is. So our back to school night is really about cultivating that community and that partnership between parents and teachers. And then we do things um, pretty differently. We have things like metanoia or the walk or meeting of the minds. And all of those have flavors of things that they knew. So meeting of the minds for us is like a parent-teacher conference. But the problem with uh, calling it meeting of the minds, it's a problem and an advantage. We purposefully don't call it a parent-teacher conference because immediately that puts an image into our parents' heads about how that's going to go, what it looks like. So we call it meeting of the minds because it's a parent-teacher-student-led conference. But then we intentionally change the language, but then it also makes it harder for parents to feel connected to what's going on here because they're not familiar with that language. So we started, we, it's always been in our handbook, you know, the breakdown of the unique things that we do here. But this year, I actually pulled pieces of my handbook out and I made them into postcards. And I send them postcards as just-in-time information. So a week before our first meeting of the minds, I send home a postcard explaining what meeting of the minds is, what is expected of them, what they should expect of us, so that it's not that overwhelming, you probably never read it handbook. But, you know, they're getting a postcard with their child's picture on the front or somebody in our community on the front, and they're more likely to read it and, and be able to digest it prior to, you know, whatever that might be. And Kelly, I, I saw those in person and just love that idea because the just-in-time information is so important. I mean, you know, my kids started school up here. They're in a traditional school and, you know all the things that I needed to read or whatever or sign. I mean, it was overwhelming. I've got four kids and I, I didn't read through everything. And in my kid's school, like it's a traditional school. So I know what everything's going to be in a non-traditional school like you and what we're trying to design here in Fairbanks. We need people to know what we're talking about mm-hmm. because it's going to be different. And so there's such power in naming things differently. Uh, the founder of Design 39 Campus in Poway that we mm-hmm. that we also visited and that we heard from the current principal last week on the podcast, they talk about how everything speaks, that whatever name you give something has a meaning. Mm-hmm. And if you just call it you know, parent-teacher conferences, then people are going to say, this is parent-teacher conferences. If you call teachers right. teachers, 
then people are going to say, this is what a teacher is and does. And so they change the name of their teachers as well. So those different naming things are so important. And I, Mm -hmm. I love the things that you're doing. It's just... It's so Yeah, and then you have to bring everybody along, right? So uh, we get, I think one of the things we struggled with is our community handbook is even pretty fun to read. You know, we intentionally made it different than your traditional handbook, but we got too precious about that too soon because we're like, it's so fun. Why would nobody read it? (laughs) And so I think that, you know, we always have to be looking at, at what we're doing and is it fulfilling the purpose that we have for it? And I think, you know, especially when you're doing something unique, it is easy to get a little bit precious about those things because you spend time and you, there's so much intentionality behind it that when it doesn't work the way you thought it would, it is kind of like, you know, you want to double down on it instead of like take a step back and say, okay, how else could we do this? Yeah. And it's in a traditional school and with all the systems already set up, it's, it's really hard to break out of that mold. Um, mm-hmm. but it's possible and you can do it, but you really need to put some effort into it. What is the hardest part about changing terms and mindsets and communicating that to parents? Like in that whole scheme of things, what is the most challenging for you as the school leader? I think the most challenging for me has been hearing parents say, why can't you just call it parent teacher conferences? Why can't you just call it you know, a report card or why can't you just call it this or that? And people who aren't in the, in the space every day don't understand the same way about why naming is so important and why we have named them intentionally different things, because we don't want you looking at the report you get, like you look at a traditional report card. That's not the intent behind it. Um, So I think just you know, parents wanting what they had and constantly kind of looking backwards and why can't you just make it easy and call it this? Why can't you just call it this? And so that, uh, you know, hopefully the the postcards are a new thing that we've done this year and hopefully that helps take care of some of that. The kids hop onto those things really easily. So they don't think anything of, you know, they know exactly what meeting of the minds is or family connection meeting or any of those things. And so I think internally it gets hard because we're so used to the vocabulary that we don't think of it as unique anymore. It's just who we are and what we do. But new parents coming in, you know, there's a, a pushback to, can't you just call it this? And I think that's that's been frustrating. Yeah, I, I totally see that. So here's one of the things that I'm that I'm facing right now, and maybe you can give me some insight on this. We're talking about doing a a K-12 magnet school and what that's going to look like. And so people have an idea of what a magnet school looks like, and they relate everything we say to what their version of a magnet school is. And then we have people who know what a K-12 school looks like, and they relate. So in Anchorage, there is a K-12 Polaris, which is a K-12 school, and they're doing really cool things. And so people just associate K-12 with K-12 Polaris or with a Bush school that is a K-12 school, which also happens, but is totally different because there's like 20 students kindergarten through 12th grade. And it's only that K through 12 because there's only one school in the whole village, right? So that one's a little bit different. So they associate that with what they are already connected to. And so even at that point, we've already lost the conversation about what this school could be because people already have an idea that they've already said, 
but that's a natural thing that people connect with what they understand already. Mm-hmm. So what's your advice on how to overcome that or to uh, brand ourselves or something or brand this idea and get people thinking of something different than what is in their experience? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I I don't know that I have a great answer for you because I think it's something that we have struggled with as well. We're a faith-based school, and so everybody wants to automatically compare us to other faith-based schools, and and we're nothing alike. There's nothing, there's nothing even similar about us and the other area schools. But people's natural inclination is to try and understand what they're seeing in the lens of what they already know and in the worldview they already know. So. Um, a lot of times even we'll have parents come in and say, oh, so you're like a Montessori. And we're like, no, we're not really a Montessori. You know, So they're trying to make you fit in, in their context of what they already know. So I think that one of the piece of, pieces of advice that I have been given is um, to start comparing yourself to what you want to look like. So for instance, you can say, you know, like we're a magnet school if a magnet school was run by Pixar or, you know, you start making those comparisons to what you actually are so that you can help parents kind of frame, Oh, there's something different here because the one I know isn't like a Pixar, you know, but, but something different is happening here or we're like the Google of charter schools or whatever, you know, whatever it may be, but you, you connect something that they're familiar with and you give it a new context uh, in school. So that's a piece of advice that we've been given. And I think that has been helpful for us. I'm not sure that we've nailed exactly how to right. do that really well, because we still get people coming in saying, oh, so you're like a Montessori or you're like, you know, how are you different from classical education? And I'm like, well, we're not similar in any way. <laughs> so <laughs> let's start there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think, you know, we read books. That's how we're similar. Yeah, I don't I don't know that we've found a great solution for that, but I, I did appreciate that piece of advice that you have to connect it with something they're familiar with, um, even if it's outside of the context of what they know a school to be. Yeah, okay. And, you know, as we're defining and researching what it could look like, that isn't quite, we're not even to that point yet, right? Because we're still mm-hmm, gathering mm-hmm. input on what the community wants and things like that. Yeah. And so I think that when you, when we get further along and start describing it, and as we like go to the board in January to say, this is what we're proposing, I think that piece right there is going to be key and being able to say, we're going to be a magnet school if a magnet school was whatever. I think that's, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you solved my problems, Kelly. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm glad. So one of the other things that you mentioned only briefly was this idea of uh, report cards and how your report card looks differently. And I know that that is still in process and it's not totally completed yet. But when I saw it, I was like, this is different. I do need to look at this differently and I need to understand what that could be and how that could look because it's very different. Can you talk a little bit about and you don't call it a report card, do you? Yeah, we call it upgrade. Upgrade, yeah. So can you just explain what that looks like briefly? Because it was it was awesome. Yeah, so upgrade for us is um, our report. But what we always start with and look at is how are we serving kids well? So if we are not starting with that question, and um, we always say, you know, start with specific kids in mind, 
then we can't really, you know, do anything for the kids that we're serving. So, um, our upgrade has been in process and it, it will probably always be in some sort of a process because we're innovating for the current population of kids and, and students and families that we have. But when we looked at what is the purpose of assessment, um, we looked at the root word and the root word of assessment is asadir. It means to um, sit beside, literally to sit beside. And I thought that is so brilliant and obvious that assessment should be, you know, a teacher, uh, a mentor of some sort sitting beside and apprenticing a student. So we often will will say even in our mission statement that we apprentice students in the art of learning. And that's really our goal. And so we say, okay, if that is our goal, how do you measure that goal? And for us, we when we looked at traditional assessment, we were really frustrated because it's always a teacher making a determination of a grade or have you passed or not passed the standard. And it's never about the student understanding and really sitting beside and looking at and reflecting on their own work. And so we really looked at, well, what things are important to us? And and not once did we say, you know, we want them to memorize their math facts in under a minute. It was always like, I want them to be able to approach the world like a mathematician or like a historian or a scientist. And so we look at you know, those things that we value, not just in learning, but also character traits and habits of mind um, to approach learning. You know, can they be a risk taker? Can they be curious? Can they be, you know, servant minded? Can they be aware of others? Um, those types of things. And so that's what ended up on our report card. And we kind of, we made it look nothing like a traditional report card pretty purposefully. So there was no way to kind of, uh, for a family to get it and to say, okay, my kid's an A in this class and a B in this class. We didn't want them to be able to make those correlations because for us, the purpose of assessment is for the student, not for the parent or the teacher. We want the kids to be so aware of their own learning and able to metacognate on the way that they are thinking and reflect. So really our assessment for kids is um, we've got a continuum. It starts at what we call a novice. Um, and we tell kids, you know, when you're a novice, it's because you've never seen it before. Like there's no shame in it. There's nothing wrong with it. It just means you've never been exposed to it before. And then you move into an apprentice where you're learning from a master. It might be a book. It might be a teacher. It might be an experience that you're having, a video that you watched, but you start to understand a little bit about it. And you've got somebody kind of guiding you through that process. And then you become a practitioner where you can really practice um, that learning independently. But, you know, you, you'll probably still check in quite a bit with, you know, whatever source that you're working with, whether it be a teacher or a book or an experience. Uh, and then you become a scholar where you can really do it pretty independently and you don't need to check in to make sure that you're doing it correctly, the skill or the content, whatever it is. Uh, and then our last is a change maker. And that um, we tell kids is when you not only understand it, but you can start going through those different levels of Bloom's taxonomy. Um, and you can also connect it with other learning. You now have insight that you can connect to other learning. Our goal is not to tell parents, you know, they're an A today in math. Our goal is really to help the kids understand as they're working through math, am I ready to move on to the next step or am I still a practitioner where I'm really, I, I pretty much have a handle on it, but I'm not ready to move on. You think about a traditional grade and when kids get back a traditional grade, you know, they may turn in a paper that they get all of the answers correct. It might be an A. But if you ask the child, you know, could you replicate this tomorrow or, or how do you feel about it? 
they may not say that they were a scholar. They may not say that they have mastered it because in their mind, they're going, well, you know, I guessed on that one, or I got lucky on that one, or I got them all right today, but I don't know if I could do that again tomorrow. Um, So really what we want to do is help kids reflect on their own learning so that as they're moving forward, they can start to reflect back and say, you know, am I ready to move on or do I need to camp here a little bit longer? And as a teacher, you know, we can't really make those determinations on behalf of our students. So that's where we sit beside and we kind of reflect through with them. You know, where are you today? Where, Where are we headed tomorrow? And that's what we want kids to get comfortable with because they're the ones that are going to live the rest of their lives with themselves. We won't be there, you know, kind of giving them that judgment of where they're at. Yeah. And what, what I love about this is that it, it really gets down to what we, like you said, we apprentice kids in the art of learning and it, that signals that learning is a never ending process, which it's not because I'm mm-hmm. still learning and mm-hmm you're still learning and we're all still learning all throughout our lives. And it also gives permission for students to not be uh, straight A students, which we actually don't want them to be straight A students. We want them to be students who are becoming apprentices and practitioners and scholars in different areas. But then we want them to be change makers in areas that really matter to them because that's really like the whole point is how do we get them to be adults who are doing these awesome things and making the world a better place. And it's easy to overlook that and not think about it, but so, so important. Well, and I would so much rather have a child be able to understand how to add, but then when they're looking at a, a spiral pattern in nature to understand the Fibonacci sequence and to make that connection and be able to do something with that, you know, learning Um, rather than, you know, they did the mad minutes in under a minute and, you know, and there's so many other things tied to that, their processing speed, their short-term memory. I mean, there's so many underlying skills that it's not fair to set, to give them a math determination based on those uh, underlying, you know, neuro skills that are required to do it in under a minute. So to me, to tell, tell a kid, you know, you're not good at math, you know, they fail the math mad minutes because their processing speed is slow. Like that's not fair. And it doesn't mean they're not good at math. It means that they have slow processing speed. But I think so often that that grade that becomes a label that kids carry with them. And what we want is not for the assessment to end the learning, but to encourage the learning. I like that. The assessment shouldn't end the learning, but encourage the learning. I like that a lot. So people are able to come and uh, see your school in action. You do a conference called the Five Sigma Conference at your school. Did I get the name right? You did. Yes, excellent. So can you tell us a little bit about that (laughs) conference and how people can learn more about that and come see the things you're doing in person? Because it makes a big difference in person, I'm just saying. (laughs) It really does. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So the Five Sigma conference really started as a way we were getting so many people inquiring and wanting to tour through each year that we were, you know, we're a pretty small school. So we would get pretty overwhelmed by that number quickly. And so we really started the conference as a way for us to be able to share the things that we're doing, but also to bring in as speakers and keynotes and um, people leading sessions those that have inspired us along the way that could help keep those conversations going. So the first day of our conference is 
uh, our students are in session and they actually lead whoever comes uh, participants through the school. They talk about their learning. Um, you get a, a real peek into the classrooms, um, how space is used, how the kids are moving about space, what they're learning. It gives you the opportunity to ask questions of students without um, me or a teacher kind of filtering that for you. So you get to see firsthand what that looks like. And then we have a couple keynotes. We do breakout sessions. Our purpose of the conference is really not to say, here's how you should do everything. So it's not one of those conferences where you come and you um, might hear, you know, what you should be doing better, and then you go and nothing changes. So we um, always say that every session needs to have a learning portion where participants can iterate and then something they can launch so that on Monday, you know, whether it's you, you're going to implement a walk for your students um, in the mornings or, you know, whatever that might be, that you have something to take away and implement right away in your classroom. So that is always our goal. And we've had amazing presenters and keynote speakers in the past and um, we're still securing some of those for this year, but the conference is in February, the 22nd, 23rd, I believe this year. That's right. And um, you can find more about it at the number five, Sigma, S-I-G-M-A, edu, E-D-U, con, or like conference, C-O-N.com. Um, so that is where you can learn more information and register, um, bring teams. If you um, want to bring a team, please feel free to email me through the site and uh, I can help on pricing for teams. But would love to see see everyone here. It's always a really fun weekend. As you might guess, we do things differently than most conferences. Yeah. So um, we bring in food trucks, our favorite food trucks. We usually do a brew tour, brewery tour because it's Colorado and why wouldn't you sure. <laughs> um, at some point? And we talk about, you know, on learning excursions that we do with our students, you know, how does a brew tour become an, uh, a experience that you're having that, that teaches you something about how to bring in outside influences into your classroom and, and make everything a teachable moment? Yeah, well, very cool. Having been there and having followed you for many, many years and finally being able to see you and your school in person, I can definitely say that it's a seeing it actually work is pretty amazing. So again, that's number five, sigmaeducon.com. There are linked to that's in the show notes at transformativeprincipal.org slash episode 248. So please uh, go check that out. And that would be a great way for you to learn more about what they're doing at Anasasa. So the last question I ask every interviewee is what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal like you, Kelly? I would say um, anytime that you can get into the classroom and really listen to students and talk to them and get to know them on a personal level, everything about what you do and the decisions you make will also be transformed because you won't hopefully be able to make them without having those students in mind. So I just say the more you're in those classrooms having conversations or, or in the lunchroom or you know any of those places uh, to stop and, and really ask students questions and listen. Excellent. Well, thank you again, Kelly, so much um, for being part of Transformative Principle. It was an honor to chat with you. Yeah, thank you so much. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments, 
You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com slash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.